All right. Brendan's bringing some heat this morning. That's right. So this is, this is not a message you can just sit back and fall asleep to. So I just think just like start wide awake already because you might feel like you're slapped across the face if you're not <laughs> starting, uh, starting awake. So open up your hearts to what God's got to say to us. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, it's usually role reversal today. Usually I'm the one up here doing announcements and then Jonathan gives the message. But uh, man, it's good to see you all this morning. Like Jonathan said, my name is Brendan. If we haven't met, I, I hope to meet you. And I have the privilege of serving with uh, our, our campus ministry uh, called to Greatness over here at K-State. Um, but, you know, Kendall and I, we've been gone a lot this summer. We've been traveling, doing different things. And actually just recently we went to Arizona. That's where she's from. She's from the, uh, the Scottsdale, Phoenix area. And it's really hot there right now, actually. It's like it was over 110 every day. I think when we got there, we landed. It was like 7 p.m. It was like 113 degrees out. Just straight heat, man. And, uh, you know, I, I planned the trip around Kendall's birthday thinking it would be really fun. And as soon as I did it, her parents just let me know how stupid I was for not thinking about the heat. And so, you know, we, we had a good time, though. It was, it was really fun. Um, but we really didn't do a lot on the trip. It was, uh, it was good to vacation. It was good to, to rest and get away and not be in Kansas. But, uh, you know, we have an 11th month old and he's got a sleep schedule and we were kind of stuck to that. And so uh, that with the heat made it really easy for us just to binge watch all three seasons of Ted Lasso. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a it's actually, you know, I, I don't know if I'd recommend it, but Ted Lasso and himself, the character is is worth watching. And one of the things that is so magnetic about Ted Lasso is his persistence and his, his personality, the way he encourages people. So uh, if you don't know, the premise of the show is that this uh, football coach from Kansas, he's born in the Kansas area and uh, Kansas City area, and uh, goes down to coach at Wichita State's football team and has success there, which if you don't know, Wichita State doesn't even have a football team. So there must have been some copyright issue they couldn't do KUK State for whatever reason, but they chose Wichita State and he gets hired to coach a, a Premier League team in soccer, which in uh, professional soccer, it's, it's a really big deal. Soccer is the most popular sport in the world. And in Europe, they have these tiers of leagues. And uh, I, I don't quite know it super well, but from what I understand, there's like the Premier League is the best and there's, you know, Champions League and a couple under under that. And any of those leagues are all better than what we have here in America for like a sporting KC. And so anyways, he's a football coach that gets hired to coach uh, European soccer because the owner is trying to tank the team. And I, I won't give you like a lot of details because I don't want to spoil it for you, but essentially there's a revenge plot line where she hires this football coach knowing that he's going to do a terrible job. But actually because of Ted's persistence and his encouragement and excitement for life and people and the way he's able to motivate people, he ends up having a really successful career with this soccer program. And um, essentially he, uh, they, they have a rough start, but he figures it out, and the way he motivates people it doesn't just change the atmosphere of the team, but the entire organization. And it's not just like he has an effect on these players, but um, he does such a good job that the owner has a complete heart transformation. And that these different people who, uh, like, she's also put in the organization who don't really know what they're doing because of Ted and his persistence and motivation and encouragement they all step into these roles and become one of the best teams in the entire league. And so um, I, I want to give you a glimpse of what that looks like. And uh, so we're going to watch a clip from the show just so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. And so in this clip, it's the beginning of season three and 
essentially the team has a lot more pressure. They were relegated, meaning they dropped the division. And then right at the end of season two, they get back to where they were. And so the owner's putting this pressure on Ted Lasso, and they have this tense conversation right before this press conference. And to uh, really put the pressure on, uh, a guy who started as a water boy for the team was uh, no, no confidence, had a lot of uh, issues with his self-image. Ted builds up, and he becomes this great assistant coach who's very tactical and strategic. He becomes a key part of the team. He turns sour on Ted Lasso and, and takes a head coaching position for a rival team in the same league. And essentially, in his opening press conference, uh, just takes Ted Lasso out. I mean, just completely comes for him. And so Ted, Ted Lasso's uh, response in this video is uh, largely to what this assistant coach that he helped raise up said. And so um, you'll see what I'm talking about here. All right, here we go. You guys still with me? We good? Yeah, here we go. Okay, bringing it back. So anyways, uh, man, there's just, there's, it's just, there's something so magnetic, something so attractive about people who are able to persist in life. And um, it, it feels like the people who have a high motor for things, who are able to work through hard things, naturally they have a lot, well, not nat naturally necessarily, but they, it seems like they always have success because of the effort they're willing to put in. And, you know, just recently, actually in June, the NBA Finals ended. And you may not be a sports fan, but I, I am. And the Miami Heat were an eight seed that made it all the way to the NBA Finals, which is the lowest seed that's ever made it to the NBA Finals. And they had this, uh, their, their star player, Jimmy Butler, is famous not just around the NBA, but around the sports world because of his ability to persist, basically to work through hard things. He's, he's tough, you know, just like Ted Lasso called his assistant a junkyard dog. That's what people call Jimmy Butler. And it was just amazing how he was able to carry his team through a playing game. They had to win twice because they were the lowest seed, lowest seed and they almost lost both times and still ended up winning uh, three other playoff series to go to the NBA Finals. And so uh, it's just, it, it seemed like it captured the sports world that Miami, the eight seed, was able to make it that far. And that's all anybody could talk about for months. And it's just, it's just this idea that as people persist in life, there's something really special that's marked on them and people gravitate towards them. And so I really believe that persistence is a quality that God seeks for all of humanity. That it is a quality that he desires, especially for, for the people in this room. And, you know, people really in our, in our country, uh, it's become very easy to not persist in the world that we live in. That if there's something that is kind of um, out of our reach, we can make a decision very easily to find something that can fill the void um, at, at the snap of our hands because we have cell phones, we have the internet. If, we, if we're looking for uh, food, all we have to do is Uber Eats and they'll deliver it to us, right? We don't have to cook anything. If we want uh, relational interaction, all we have to do is go online for it. You don't even have to see people face to face. There's no, there's no rejection online. It's, it's very easy just to uh, make a connection with somebody and then if it doesn't go well, you can ghost them. You don't have to talk to them ever again. This idea of instant gratification is, is really saturating our culture. And you know, there's nothing bad about uh, having pleasure or getting, things, uh, getting needs met in that way, but I don't believe it's what God intended for humanity to live that way all the time. And actually, you know, I would say this, that God is not really concerned about our short-term instant gratification as much as he is about making us people who are whole. 
And so, man, I, I want to encourage us today that uh, in the Bible, we're going to look at a passage where God is teaching his, or Jesus is teaching the disciples how to persist in prayer. And so continuing our parable series, now we're going to look at a story from Luke 11, the persistent friend. And in this parable, uh, essentially Jesus is, is praying in a place and the disciples approach him and say, hey, Jesus, we want you to teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. And so he says, okay, and he, and he shows them. And then right after that, he goes into this parable that would allude to this idea of persistence. And so uh, go ahead and open up to Luke 11, and we'll, we'll start there. It's in verse 1. Here it is. So uh, it says in verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, okay, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, uh, and Matthew says, your will be done. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So in this prayer, you know, you might know it as the Lord's Prayer and, and other traditions. It's very common to repeat that prayer um, or the Our Father is how I learned it. But actually, in this, just a quick side note, uh, man, it's really just a blueprint of how to pray. Jesus was saying, okay, when you pray, pray for these things. And uh, if, you've never, if you've never done this, one of our books over here, the Bluemont Notebooks on the table, it has a structure of, of this exact prayer that you can fill out. And I would just encourage you, if you've never done that before, to take a look and maybe even take one of those notebooks home with you because it really will develop a, a, a great prayer life for you. But... Um, I mean, just wanted to point out that this prayer is, is really just Jesus saying, hey, pray like this, not repeat exactly what I say. So uh, in verse 5, it says this, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Okay? So essentially, in, in, uh, Jonathan was telling me that in, in Middle East culture, um, especially in, in the time period of, of when Jesus roamed the earth, it would have been very common for people just to show up at your doorstep because there were no phones, no lettering, sending letters wasn't very common, and, uh, you know, obviously no email, no text. So if people were traveling to see family or friends, uh, you basically hosted them. You let them in. When they, it didn't matter what you were doing. If, if they came and knocked on your door, you would open up your house to them. You would open up your beds to them. You would make food for them, water. And so uh, in the scene, when Jesus is describing um, this guy coming late at night, he's panicked because he didn't know these people were coming. And all of a sudden, this need arises, and it has to be met, right? He's, he needs three loaves of bread, and he goes to somebody he thinks will provide it for him. Um, and so in verse 7, it says this, And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his persistence. Uh, in my Bible, there's a footnote there, and impudence uh, has a one by it, and it says persistence at the bottom. Um, so yet because of his persistence, he will rise up, and give him whatever he needs. Uh, and so I just think that's pretty amazing. You know, Jesus, who uh, is often portrayed as this uh, very loving person who will do uh, anything for people because he loves them so much, which is true, says here, hey, I uh, actually, it's not because of how close of friends these people are or anything that 
um, he could do uh, for his friend is because he keeps knocking, because he's so persistent in what he does, he'll get whatever he needs. That's how the need will be met. And, you know, uh, it's interesting, um, you know, in this parable, we, ha- we have three characters. The first is the traveler. Um, the second would be the, the persistent friend, and the third would be the, the person who provides, right? And so um, uh, it's not too hard to figure out by now, but, but I'll help you in case you haven't. The first, the first would be uh, the traveler. That would just be a person or a need that arises, right? So in this parable, Jesus, he teaches the disciples how to pray, and then he says, hey, just in case you, this happens to you, there's a need that comes up from the traveler. And so the persistent friend, that would be you or I, right? It'd be somebody who has a need that pops up and they, they need to get it fixed and figured out and take it, to, take it to somebody who will provide it. And so naturally the provider would be God, right? Somebody who uh, can provide anything and everything we need, actually the only person who can provide all of our needs. And uh, that would lead me to say that the takeaway of this parable is that um, Jesus is telling his disciples that to be eager in their request to God as this person who wakes up the neighbor in the middle of the night. So basically, our persistent prayer is met with God's provision. Our persistent prayer is met with God's provision. And so uh, that seems that might seem a little bit off to you because maybe you've prayed before and God hasn't answered one of your prayers, Right? Has anyone here ever prayed for something and it's not been met? Yeah, a lot of us. A lot of us have, right? And that hurts. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to pray for somebody or for something, and it doesn't come true. It doesn't come to fruition. It seems like, man, God's forgotten about me. He is kind of just doing his own thing. Maybe he doesn't hear my prayers. Maybe I did something wrong. And, you know, it just feels painful. Like, why is it, why is this not happening for me? Why is this thing that I'm asking for not being granted? And, you know, I wish that this message was more about that. I wish I I had more answers for those questions. But what I do know that in this prayer, what Jesus is teaching his disciples is that actually, man, sometimes God just wants us to ask more. Sometimes God is trying to develop something in us that we would persist through whatever it is that is going on in our life so that we would be made whole. Because as much as God wants us to be comforted, his ultimate concern is not our comfort, but making us whole. Making us people who love him and follow him and will be faithful to him throughout our lives. And, you know, that doesn't happen without persistence. Right? So, uh, you know, as much as, as much as God wants to comfort us, he cares much more about making us spiritually whole. And, you know, um, it's interesting uh, I, I have plenty of stories from times that I, God did something in my life really special, and then I asked him to do something else, and it didn't happen, and then I kind of forget about this cool thing he did before, and uh, I, I would love to tell you about those, but I'm, I'm not going to embarrass myself just yet, and, but if you need a case study for this, if, if you can't relate to that in your own life, uh, Israel is just a great example in the Old Testament, and you can laugh at them all you want, because really you are them. And so um, in the Exodus story, though, it's so funny. You know, God does all this work to free Israel from Egypt. And he proves himself to be the one true God over all these other gods that Egypt serves and that Pharaoh, uh, you know, would try and emulate. And as soon as, they, as soon as they encounter anything in the wilderness, they say, hey, you know what would be really nice? If we just went back to slavery. 
You know what would be really easy right now? We don't have water. We don't have bread. Moses, this is your fault. We'd rather be in Egypt in slavery. And it just happens over and over again. In Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, they encounter these small obstacles, and they completely forget and disregard what God did in Egypt to bring them out and to bring them into the promised land. And so because of that, you know, they keep wandering in the wilderness. But isn't that so relatable? Right? That, hey, I, I've seen God do some pretty amazing things in my life, but you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather just turn to this thing that's a lot like spiritual slavery because at least it's easier. I'd rather just turn to the thing that, hey, it actually feels like a, a spiritual weight on me and I can feel the chains. I, I, it's, it really is, I feel like I'm in bondage when I do it, but at least it's easier. At least it's easier than persisting. And uh, man, it's just, we're so short sighted as humans. But God wants to develop this, this persistence in us so that we can see the world how he sees it. So we can see our lives in, the, in terms of the long, the long haul and not just what's right in front of us. And so we're going to keep going here in Luke 11. <clears throat> in, in verse 9, it says this. So he just finished this uh, parable. He just taught them how to pray. And then he, he follows up with this. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will then give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Man, I... Uh this passage is really, really important to me. I, it's become something that I really feel like in certain areas of my life, God has developed a persistence. And so now as I read it, I, I think about those areas and uh, I'm really excited to share about them and, and kind of three categorical things that Jesus says, and it's ask, seek, and knock. And so, uh, man, the first one, ask. Uh, pretty clear in verse 13, says this, if you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So ask, man, we have to ask for the Holy Spirit. And uh, in my own life, I, I, I came to Christ as a, as a freshman in college at the University of Kansas. I was 18. Um, and not too long after I did that, in my first semester, I, somebody prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Actually, the next day, I got, I got saved, and, and then someone said, hey, uh, man, this is what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be filled? And I said, yeah, I do. I, that sounds really good to me. I, I saw the story in Acts and uh, how people were living, and I was like, man, I, I've, I've tried living my way. It's not working very well. I, I would love to have the Holy Spirit. And so and <clears throat> as I was filled, you know, I felt like there was an urge within me to speak in tongues. And I, I didn't end up doing it though, because I was very timid. I, I could feel this, I could feel this thing it like uh, boiling inside of me, like, man, I need to get this out. But I was very, very um, con concerned about, about how it would sound or how I would look. And so I didn't do it. And then years later, after uh, several people in my life who were older and, and wiser and, and uh, had walked with the Holy Spirit, had kind of told me they felt like that was some, a gift that God wanted to give me, I finally got to this place in my junior year where um, I was at a conference and somebody said, hey, you know, if you, if you really want to pray to get the tongues, the Bible says two things about it. One, it's, it says to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, okay? So you, you really have to 
have a desire in your heart to want them. And two, uh, it says about tongues, it's like flicker to flame. So if you think about a lighter, and as you're trying to light something, it might take a few strikes before finally it lights. And in just that moment, I was convicted about my lack of persistence towards the Holy Spirit and how I didn't desire the gifts and how actually, man, I was so scared about how it would sound that I, I wasn't willing to try and pray in tongues, even though I felt the Holy Spirit compelling me to do so many times. And so just in that moment, I made a decision. All right, God, if you want me to have this gift, I want that gift and I'm going to do it. And literally in that moment, I, I started praying in tongues for the first time. And I started having to practice and, and, and really it was, it was not just something that came naturally, but it was, it was, it took time to develop. And as I prayed in tongues more and more, the more I gained victory in my life. So these sins that were in my life, the Bible talks about the gift of tongues as being something that edifies the spirit, edifies the person, edifies the, edifies the individual, builds you up. All of a sudden, these things that I struggle with most of my life, I was seeing victory in because when I, when I had nothing left to turn to, I would pray in tongues, and all of a sudden, I was able to overcome. And it was amazing how persisting in tongues allowed me to persist through sin that allowed me to become more spiritually whole. And I believe that's true for the people in this room, that God wants to give you more of the Holy Spirit, more of an outpouring, so that you can go then and live. Because it, was, it wasn't just me who was impacted by that. As soon as I was able to step out of sin, my, everything in my life changed. You know, everything, uh, my, my relationship became more whole, right? I was able to, to propose and, and get married because I stopped messing around like a little boy and acted like a man, right? And then all of a sudden... I was not able to help my friends as much as I wanted because I was living in sin and didn't really have a lot of spiritual authority. But as soon as I started living with the Holy Spirit, I gained authority. And all of a sudden, God started using me more in people's lives. And that's really the attitude and posture he wants us to have that, man, as I am free, I can help others become free. But we have to persist. Uh, so next, man, we have ask, and then Jesus says, seek. It says in Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. And, um, you know, it can, it can be, you can read this and think, hey, God is trying to hide something from me. But really what is true is as you persist to get to know God, he reveals more of himself. So as we persist, God reveals. And it's amazing that as, as you seek God out, you learn more about his character. And so it's easy to read Bible stories or to go to church for a long time and think you know about God. But really, you just may know details. But I really believe that as you seek God's heart, he reveals things to you that you've never known before. And I can say personally, you know, during the pandemic, when it first happened and, and things were going on uh, and people were staying inside and not going out, uh, as a campus minister, I didn't have a lot to do because students got sent home. And so I li would literally do two things every day. Uh, one of my friends opened up a gym out of his garage. We were doing ministry with some football players at, at, the, at KU. And these guys had nowhere else to go and no, nothing else to do. And so I would go there and hang out for hours on hours while people lifted and I lifted. And it was, it was a really fun time to hang out. But the other thing I would do was I would just go in my car while Kendall was working. I, I, I had less work to do because there were no people. And so I would just get in my car and go to this high place over campus, much like this room. And I would just look out over the campus and I would read and I would pray and I would worship. And during that time, a leader in my life was talking about this idea of God's narrative versus the narrative of the world. And in the narrative of the world, there's lies, there's deception, much of which I believed. 
but I knew and battled with anxiety for a long time that, hey, if God wants me to know more about his story, I need to know the Bible better and I need to hear from him about what his narrative really is. And so I said, okay, God, if this is, if this, if your narrative is something that you want me to know, would you just reveal it to me? And I would pray that prayer every day. I would go up to this place, I would worship, I would pray, and I would constantly ask God in those times, Lord, show me more about your narrative. And it was amazing, as I read the Bible and persisted through the Old Testament, it didn't just give up at Leviticus, but kept reading about stories of kings and people. Really what I learned was that as I sought to seek God and his narrative, is that one, man, God's heart for people isn't to put them in things like a pandemic, right? These questions were always emerging, like, why is this happening? Why are bad things happening? Who, who, like, God, why, why is the world the way that it is? But I learned, like, man, God's character really isn't to bring these things upon people. It's so that, man, he can use people in partnership so that his glory can be revealed on the earth. And so that was really comforting to me. But also I learned that, man, people are really awful. You know, that in the Bible, it's actually God saying, hey, come do this thing with me, and we're going to do great things in the world. And people say, hey, you know what? Actually, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go do my own thing. And then it turns out being really bad. And that's all over the New Old, Old Testament. It's all over. And I never knew it because I barely read it. And it was amazing how as I developed this persistence in my prayer life and in my, uh, my, my reading of the Bible, that God really developed this this thing in me where now I could see things from a higher perspective. I wasn't bogged down by what the world was saying, but I could see beyond the deception and see, man, there's some, there's a greater plan happening in the world and God is using me to be a part of it. And I need to bring other people into that, man. So I believe that God wants you to persist so that he can reveal more of his character to you. You guys with me? You tracking? Everybody good? All right, here we go. Last one, knock. So we've covered seek, we've covered ask, and knock. And so knock uh, feels like the stakes have increased. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking about this idea and, you know, I'm somebody, I, I feel like I was the last of my, this, I might sound like old or really stupid here. So you can laugh, but I, I feel like I was the last person of my, you know, if I think about a college student now and I talk to them, they're not very likely to go knock on a random person's door. And I feel like I was like one of the last people to have to, if I wanted to go hang out with my friend, I'd have to call his parents on our landline or I'd have to go knock on the door. I, I, I did that probably until I was six or seven. And um, so now if you knock on someone's door, you might, you're, someone might question your sanity, right? Like, hey, why are you doing that? You could just text them or they're not gonna answer. You might get a door shut in your face. Um, but it's kind of what I alluded to at the beginning where it's very easy to just hide behind a screen or not really put yourself out there and, and ask for things boldly because you might get rejected. But actually, man, God wouldn't question your sanity if you knocked on his door. Actually, he would welcome your boldness. And um, I believe that as you persist through fear and anxiety and approach God, he's honored by your boldness. As we persist through fear and approach God, he's honored by our boldness. Uh, you know, if you think about the show Shark Tank, uh, if you, if you don't know, it's a, it's a business show. They showed on ABC. It's, it's pretty fun to watch. Um, essentially the, there's these big time investors. I think most of them are billionaires with a B and they want to find the next business idea that will take them, 
or that will make them more money. And what's interesting is it doesn't matter how bold the ask is from the, from the entrepreneur. If the idea is good enough, the sharks will make an investment. And you know, what's great about God is he doesn't even need you to have a great business plan. He just needs you to be bold. And when you're bold in front of God, man, he's honored by that. It's, it's interesting that Jesus, who is, who is God in human form, is telling them, hey, if you guys who are horrible people and evil can give good gifts to your children, what do you think God would give you if you asked him? What do you think God would give you if you asked him? <clears throat> and so uh, as I wrap up here, I, I just want to tell the story. There's a guy who's famous named John Knox, and he had this prayer that God give me Scotland or I die. And so he was this famous Scottish person uh, amongst uh, Scottish people in the 1500s who um, was a reform, reformed Christian. He became evangelical, uh, was reached in the Catholic Church, and eventually converted to evangelical Christi uh, Christianity. And uh, there was a, a queen there at the time, Mary Tudor, and she was known as Bloody Mary because of how harshly she executed uh, these Reformed Christians. And so he fled from the country and went to England and met John Calvin, actually, and was discipled by him, and then came back and was part of this revival after Mary Tudor had passed away. Um, and uh, as actually, I believe it was Queen Mary Tudor who told, who, she's recorded as saying, hey, I'm more worried about John Knox's prayer than any army you could send our way against Scotland. I'm more worried about this man's prayer life than I am about any army that could face our country. Isn't that amazing? That some one man had that much impact in his prayer life that the queen was, was saying, hey, that's more scary to me than any other threat we could face as a country. And so I'm gonna read this quote that talks about just this simple prayer, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. It says this, perhaps of all the prayers of Knox, Give me Scotland or I die is the most quoted one. It was not an arrogant prayer, but a passionate plea showing his intense desire for the conversion of the people of Scotland. His prayer was an expression of his great confidence in God. One of Knox's mottos was, one man with God is always in the majority. His prayer also echoes the Apostle Paul's prayer in Romans 10.1. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I wonder if we have that same desire for our fellow countrymen. When was the last time you prayed for your country like Knox did for his? Do we sincerely pray for our fellow countrymen's conversion? You know, I'm so thankful for the work that Jesus has done in my life. As I think over the past eight years, how much my life has changed and how my family has changed and, um, you know, my, my parents and my in-laws, like it's, it's really incredible what God has done in such a short time. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's like, do I believe that that's the most important thing that could happen to a person? Because if I did, I would probably be asking for it a lot more. And so my, my question for, for us today is, will anybody in Bluemont Church be remembered for their prayer life? Will anybody here be remembered for the way they prayed for Manhattan, Kansas? Or if you're visiting today, uh, wherever you're from, right? Will you be remembered for the way that you so badly wanted God to move in your city that, that he did? Um, do, do, we, do we sincerely in our hearts want to ask God, Lord, give us Manhattan or we die? 
because I believe that is, that is the call of a, of a disciple, of a Christian, that somebody would have the courage and the boldness to approach people with such love and humility to say, hey, there's nothing more important that could happen in your life than giving it and surrendering it to Jesus Christ. And so, man, I just want to encourage you all as I, as I, as I close here, I'll, I'll pray here in just a second, that, man, you would persist in prayer to God for our community. That there is, there is no better ask. You know, it's, it's, it's so clear to me that in that prayer, the first thing Jesus says, uh, you know, hey, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He calls him holy. And then what, what the first request is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, uh, your kingdom come, God, in Manhattan as it is in heaven. Man, we, we just, I pray that your desire would be that God's kingdom would come here in the city and that he would use you to be a part of it because that is really what our, our heart is as a church. And that Bluma would be a city on a hill. So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for just this word of persistence. Lord, I just ask, Father, that you would right now change every heart in this room to be somebody who has the passion of John Knox, God. That we would have tens of twenties and thirties and hundreds of John Knoxes in Manhattan, God. That this place would be a city on the hill, the word that you've given us about our community, God. Lord, make this a place of, of, for people to call home, that they, would, that they would be reached by the gospel, that their lives would be changed, that they would see transformation through the Holy Spirit in ways that they've never had before, God. We pray, I pray for break, breakthrough and freedom right now and in the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, God, that chains would be broken, God. The, the sin that has been in people's lives would be broken, that family curses, God, would be broken, that uh, generational sin would be broken, God, right now in Jesus' name, that we, we believe that you have the victory, God, you have the power, and we just have to ask. God, I just pray that people here would have a heart to ask more. God, just, uh, just a simple request, God, open people's heart to ask you more. God, we just, we just believe that you, you are a God who wants to give generously, abundantly, um, and that every need would be met. God, thank you. In Jesus' name.